go ahead and get started. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 has already been pointed out to me that if you've been hanging out with us for a few months, you may recall first of the year we were actually looking at this passage. We won't exegete it the way we normally do. Our goal is to have our Bibles open and not leave until we know what the Spirit said through the author of that text. Today, we want to actually continue or finish what we started on Mother's Day. Uh, whereas Mother's Day, we, we, we looked at the issue of womanhood, particularly in light of a lot of the cultural confusion on both the left and the right in that issue. We want to do the same thing with manhood today. So with that, if you will, stand with me. Reverence of God's Word, page 852 of your pew Bibles. We want to read one verse, but again, we will be looking at uh, several uh, others. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Now, Father, as always, when we gather, we ask that you would do the same thing um, in our hearts and our minds and our eyes and ears, our mouth, our hands and our feet, that we would be different because we've encountered the risen Savior by the means of your Spirit as revealed in your word. This is your work, and we ask that you would be kind to, 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 to do this work in our lives. Uh, Lord, I know there's a lot of confusion in the world, um, but if we would be faithful to the text and keep our eyes on Jesus, the world doesn't look so confusing after all. And Lord, may I decrease so that you can increase. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Seated. Well, as we said, on Mother's Day, we explore the errors of our culture when it comes to the issue of womanhood. After all, uh, we are having to ask ourselves questions we never thought we'd have to ask. Asking what is a woman is almost akin to asking what is yellow. You know what it is. It's sort of obvious. It's not just that you know what it is. Everybody knows what it is. And you remember what we discussed with, well, on Mother's Day is that there are two extremes that we're seeing pre- present right now. One is to see femininity or womanhood uh, to, to be, uh, to, to be a, 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 a cultural image that is defined and increasingly defined as flamboyancy, makeup, or maybe the fear of bugs, whatever stereotypes you want. So that those who are claiming the identity of womanhood seem to be feeding into what I think are dangerous and false uh, stereotypes of womanhood. The other extreme uh, is, is that womanhood is nothing more than biology and function. You have the DNA of, of, of a woman, two X chromosomes. You have body parts and you bear children. Therefore, you are a woman. Without realizing it, the influence of Darwin is right there, even among those who claim to be on the rights. So you have one that womanhood is self-defined and, and, and it, the expression is often culturally shaped. On the other, womanhood is, is, is a function and biology. The Bible is clear, however, that gender is a theological conversation. So right there in the first page of your Bible, God created man, that is mankind, in his own image Male and female, he created them, which means if we want to understand what words like man and woman, male and female mean, we have to have a theological discussion. This is really where a lot of my frustration has been in the last few years is that we we, we talk past each other and we bypass the real uh, issue here. We can't talk about male and female without talking about the creator of male and female. 
And so we have those extremes with, with womanhood. We're doing this, something similar when it comes to masculinity, manhood. One side sees masculinity as a curse that can only be cured through a, a type of secular f- uh, uh, feminization. Uh, several years ago, back when I was in school, uh, a book came out by a group of feminists who were, who were exploring the issues of motherhood and adulthood and whatnot through a feminist lens. And, and in one chapter, it was dedicated to raising boys without all that masculinity. Yuck, right? And, and, and in, in the book, they, they, they were sharing their frustration that all these little boys that they're trying to raise are, well, masculine. And then they were expressing with one another how difficult that was. Let me give you just one little fun antidote that I will never forget. One mother had, had took out all toys that, that encouraged aggression. Uh, if, if, if it were my, me growing up, it would be G.I. Joe uh, action figures or, or Marvel DC action figures or toy guns or anything like that, right? All of that has been removed because it encourages toxic masculinity. However, in this home where all of these things have been removed, uh, there was a a, a, a set of boys, right? And one day while mom was finishing up uh, breakfast, one boy took his toast. He chewed it into a right-hand angle and started shooting his brother with his toast, right? Right? I, I mean, how do you fix that? But you see that the motivation is, is that masculinity is something to be cured, rather than something to be developed as a good. The other side, I think, goes to the other extreme. If one side is afraid of traditional masculinity, the other wants it on steroids. This is the age of the alpha male bro dude. I'm sorry, bruh dude for you young folks. This is the idea that you're not a man if you don't have large muscles, strong personality. No introverts are welcome here. Unless you make at least, at least six figures, seven by the time you're 25. And of course, you have to be promiscuous. For what I can tell from these bro dudes is, is, is that what they present, what they sell is nothing more than adolescence with bigger toys. It's still the same drive of, 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 of um, masculine stereotypes uh, of fast driving cars, beautiful women, etc., etc. And without those, you're not actually a man. Now, I will say that certainly the feminization of manhood is a serious problem in our culture. But it seems the opposite caricature is equally inadequate. Is a man any less of a man if he only has one partner for life? Is a man any less of a man if he makes less than six figures? Is he less of a man if he eats more carbs than protein? If he isn't great with his hands, if he occasionally helps his wife with the laundry, if his curveball goes straight, or if he doesn't drive a diesel truck, is he any less of a man? The bro dudes would say, of course he's less of a man. Surely masculinity is bigger than that. Well, when we talked about womanhood, we, to, to get the conversation started theologically, we wanted to highlight a single word from the Bible. And the word we looked at was helper from Genesis chapter 2. What is a word we can look at when it comes to manhood? The word I would pick is the word meek. So let's do the same outline we had with woman. Let's start with the word, the word meek. Now, unfortunately, we already don't like the word choice. 
because of the connotations it brings with it. For example, if you go to dictionary.com, and when you get bored, you can look this up on your own. Uh, these are the three definitions you're going to get from dictionary.com. Uh, humbly patient or quiet in nature as under provocation from others. Or it can mean overly submissive or compliant, tame. Or finally, it can mean obsolete, gentle, kinds. Now, notice here, we associate such a definition of meekness with femininity, not with masculinity. We might even say that meekness, as defined by the dictionary here, is the problem with modern man. We have too many men like this. And this is the sort of man that feminists want to create and put into society. Yet, you cannot read the Bible without seeing that we, as men and women, of course, our goal here is to focus on men, are called to be meek. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. What does Jesus say is the secret to the blessed life, the favored life, the prosperous life, is meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they will be blessed. They will inherit the earth. We can look at almost a parallel passage from the Old Testament, uh, Psalm 37. But the meek shall inherit the land. What does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus in Matthew 5. And delight themselves in abundant peace. James chapter 3, the brother Jesus says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. What is the secret, not just to the blessed life, but the wise life? Meekness. We can even not just look at Bible verses, we can look at biblical models. Take someone like Moses. One will be hard-pressed to call him soft. He stood against tyranny. He pleaded the cause of slaves. He created a nation. He shepherded his people through the desert. He ensured justice. He protected the vulnerable. And he condemned evil. And he stood before God. Yet the Bible declares in Numbers 12, he was a man of great meekness. If Moses doesn't work for you, what about Jesus? Jesus wasn't exactly soft himself. He could suffer injustice with grace. He was pierced without a tear. He suffered betrayal without bitterness. He was mocked without revenge. He was abandoned without surrender. At the same time, Jesus, and we could add Moses and others to this list, are more than just alpha males. Jesus refused to settle for such simple categorization. While he did not cry under the agony of the cross, he was willing to weep at the funeral of a friend. While he did not go into a rage against Judas, he did verbally assault the religious elites publicly. While he suffered the mockery of, of the wicked, he defended the right of children to play and to interrupt the church service. This is why Jesus can announce publicly, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am, the word gentle there is meek. I am meek and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your weary souls. When Jesus marches into Jerusalem, what is the verse that Matthew quotes on the uh, triumphal entry? Zechariah, behold, your king is coming, meek and on a donkey. So when we speak of meekness, maybe we should define the word as the Bible defines it, and not by how the world defines it, particularly a world 
saturated and drowning with postmodern relativistic rhetoric. That's the word. Let's look quickly at the work of meekness, particularly as it relates to men. What sort of characteristics should, we, should a meek man have? And we could look at thousands of them, of course. We only have time for two. We looked at two for, for women with helper. We want to look at two with meekness for men. Two characteristics of a meek man. The first one is strength. The alpha bras are, uh, are often think that physical strength is the essence of masculinity. After all, if you can't literally sweep her off her feet, what kind of man are you? Something my wife suffers from. Look at me. You think I can pick anything up off the ground? No, no, not at all. So I hope our masculinity isn't limited to strength. But my beef is, is that men can have all the muscle in the world and still be very weak. And these are the sort of dudes you want to avoid. What good are muscles when you abandon children? What good is your protein intake when you can't keep a job? What good is your fitness program, your six-pack of abs, or your weight loss regiment if you can't be a foundational rock for people you love? What good is all of that stuff? There's nothing wrong with working out. I love to exercise. But what good is it if you're not doing the other things right? Meekness in the Bible means real strength. Not an artificial strength, but a real strength. Society, not to mention families and marriages, need men who are strong. Three areas that we can be strong in meekness. The first is the strength to lead. The strength to lead. Society needs men to lead. Look, everywhere around you, in this room right here, would any of this be possible if it were not for men who went to work? Men who, who worked hard. Men who led. No, nothing in this society would be possible. Our homes would be uh, less complete without men leading them. Leadership is a constant burden. It never leaves you, whether you're asleep, whether you're at work, whether you're at the dinner table, or it's Father's Day. Leadership is a constant burden God has equipped men in particular to carry. It is essentially removing the burdens that other people carry off of them onto yourself. One of the worst consequences, I believe, of the feminization of young men has been that we are raising men who are unwilling and unable to lead. After all, when men lead, that is viewed as toxic, as being bossy. And so we're raising men to be hesitant of that. Most young men right now cannot handle their emotions to lead. If there is a crisis right now, in this room, right now, it will be men who, who, who have a nature at which they can handle the crisis and then address the emotions. That's the way God has made us. That's why men go to war. Most young men are gripped by anxiety. Most young men uh, have, have, have lacked the upbringing or the desire to step up to lead. Women, not to mention the rest of culture, suffer as a result of that. Young men here, God has called you to step up to be strong enough to lead. No one, particularly a wife, should ever have to push you to step up. Secondly, we need meek, meek men who have the strength to persevere. Look, life is hard for all of us. You are not the exception 
I know your life is hard. My life is hard. The person sitting next to you, life is hard, probably because of the way you treat them. But life is hard for all of us. It's always been this way. And there are many things that help us get through life. Of course, I believe Jesus and the Bible and one another within this church, a big part of that. Can I tell you another secret to getting through life? Having strong men in your life. Whether you're a man or a woman, you need strong men in your life. Father's Day is us recognizing I've been blessed with strong men in my life. And I am who I am today because of those strong men. Think about it. Every father here, you could ruin your children's life by walking away. Doing nothing else. You don't need to scream. don't need to shout. Just walk away. Every husband here can ruin your wife's life simply by walking away. Sometimes the most lasting gift a man can give their loved ones, not to mention society, is simply to show up and to keep showing up. Keep working. Keep loving. Keep leading. Keep serving. Keep going. And the man who constantly lives and and leads and loves often achieves more than the man who is constantly on the go. Tell me which one is harder. Which one requires more strength to love a woman for a lifetime or to bounce from one relationship to another, one hotel room to another, one job to another, one opportunity to another, one city to another? You tell me which one is more hard. Thirdly, not just the strength to lead or the strength to persevere, but the strength to fight. Weak men endanger everyone. There will always be dangerous men, toxic men, if you want to use the term. What keeps toxic men at bay are strong, meek men who keep them at bay. They build the walls. They they stand to fight. They step up. They lead. They protect. Men who will defend what is right, protect the innocent, and go to whatever ends necessary are real men. We see this within the Bible, Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, now this applies to both men and women in the context of Galatians 5 and 6. However, it's not an accident that the Bible prefers to to speak of the church, to speak directly to men, because men are particularly called to this responsibility. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, highlight that or circle it, which is what my hand gesture was. Restore him in a spirit of, the word there is meekness. Watch yourself, though, that you don't fall for the same temptation. See the strength? You must help carry the burdens of those who are failing, while you yourself must watch and guard your heart so you don't fail. Ephesians chapter 4, with all humility and gentleness, meekness is the word there, with patience, bear with one another in love. Notice how humility, meekness, love, all these carry the idea of carrying burdens, leadership, that's love in essence. One of my favorite American novels is without a doubt Harper Lee's To Kelly Mockingbird. And there's two scenes in that story I absolutely love. The first is, is when Atticus Finch, who is one of my favorite characters in general of, of literature, Atticus Finch uh, is, is given a gun to shoot a dog, right? You remember that in the scene, it's, it's, a, it's a rabid dog with, with, with rabies who's, who's loose and endangering the community. The sheriff uh, brings Atticus, who's a local town attorney, out. And you remember that Atticus' son, Jim, won't call him dad. 
There's a lot of stuff going on there. And Jim sees Atticus as a less of a man because Atticus won't let him do all these sort of things. He sees his father as a weakling with glasses and all that sort of stuff. But when the sheriff shows up, he gives the gun to, to, to shoot the, 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 the dog with rabies to Atticus. He's the sheriff. And so Atticus pulls it up, shoots it. The dog's done. And you can see Jim in the movie. He really articulates. He's like, he's like Atticus? Um, uh, I, 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 you know, he's struggling. And the sheriff goes, well, son, hasn't anyone told you? Your daddy is the best shot in the county. And it is at that moment, Jim starts to realize there's more to masculinity than big muscles, large guns, and, and everything else. And the climax of that scene comes later. My second favorite scene is actually actually the favorite scene of of, of the book in the the movie is when Atticus is defending an innocent man who's been wrongly accused because of the color of his skin. And, and and, And because of his trial the next day, they brought him back in the town. And when some of the folk find out about it, they're going to 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 hurt him. They're going to they're going to 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 murder him. Basically, remember what Atticus does. He doesn't call the police. He doesn't grab a gun. He doesn't round up the bras, right? He doesn't even do any of that. You remember what he does? He gets a lamp, a book, and a chair. And he sits in front of the jail. They have to go through him to get to the, his client he's defending. It's a wonderful scene. He's not loud. He's not rambunctious. He's not, he's not packing heat. His character is enough in that scene. He's a meek man. Well, meekness means strength. Secondly, meekness means self-control. I realize that self-control and restraint are dirty words in our society. Indulgence is liberty nowadays. No wonder we are so lonely, exhausted, and enslaved. A man who lacks self-control is a danger to himself. He's a dangerous to others. He's a danger to society. And the book Road to Character, New York Times columnist David Brooks uh, presents us with a really interesting juxtaposition. On the radio, he was listening to NPR, NPR play some an old clips from a show back from, from when soldiers were returning from the end of World War II. America had just like won the war, okay? And, and soldiers were coming home. And so on this NPR show was a, a number of big celebrities. I think Frank Sinatra was one and some other names that I can't remember but I recognize. Really large celebrity names, right? And, and he was struck by how it was like subdued. He looked into it and he found that, that most men came home and they just picked up where their lives had been paused. They went back to work. They got back on the farm. And, and that there wasn't a lot of showboating. It was odd. You just won the war. You defeated Hitler and, 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 and uh, uh, the, uh, Japan. You, you, you accomplished great things. He said, but then, then I walked into the house and there was a football game on. I turned the game on, and the first play I watched, the running back went for two yards. And he got up, beat his chest, did his dance. It was probably the Ants in the Pants song. And he, he was doing all this sort of stuff, and he said, it, it hit me. That player showboated more for a two-yard game than a generation of young men did defeating fascism. Self-control is the key to meekness. Two areas where we, particularly as men, need to apply self-control. The first is our emotions. A meek man reigns in strong emotions like anger, bitterness, wrath, 
and envy. A man who will beat his chest, flex his muscles, bark down the throat of of, of a woman, or hurt children may have muscles, but he is no man. We must be able to rein in these strong emotions. They must also learn to address the ubiquitous emotions of fear, anxiety, uncertainty, doubt, and insecurity. Young men, when you start a job, that anxiety is what everyone starting a job that day feels like. The first time you hold that baby in your arms and you're a dad, those emotions you feel, it's the same emotions every first time dad feels. And every time a dad has a 10th kid, he has the same emotions. When you find out your wife is pregnant, you're happy, but you're scared to death. These are ubiquitous. Will you be ruled by them or will you rein them in? To be ruled by either anger or anxiety is not healthy. This is why cultivating the inner life is as important as preparing for your career, working on your relationships, uh, you know, trying to make money. If you can cultivate the inner life, everything else will fall into place. There's a little secret that young men often find this out the hard way, this need to, to, to have control of our emotions. Women want a man who is open, yes, but not vulnerable. You ladies, come talk to me afterwards. I'll prove that, you're, that, that I am right. Remember what we said about strength. Women find confidence, self-assurance, and wisdom attractive. But a man who is constantly uh, bloviating his emotions without any control of them is a man who will be perceived as weak, ineffective, and a fool. You may want to disagree with me, but I'm right. A man gripped by wild emotions is not a safe place for their wives, their daughters, or anyone else. We must have self-control. I get it, you have anger issues, so do I. We must, we must address those. Secondly, we must have self-control of our desires. If we are not careful, we men can be driven by the wind of our desires, whether it be greed, lust, or a host of other issues. Desires enjoyed within the boundaries, appropriate boundaries, as clearly laid out in Scripture, are safe, healthy, fulfilling, and good for everybody. Break those boundaries, and you will make a mess of lives, including your own. We are playing with fire. We are not the only people who will get burned by this. Look at the story of David and Bathsheba. His inability to rein in his lusts ruined the kingdom. Saul's inability to rein in his anger ruined his kingdom. We must watch our emotions and our desires. Isn't this what... what uh, Paul tells us, Titus 3, 2, speak evil of no one. You see the self-control? Avoid quarreling. See the self-control? I love to quarrel because I want you to think that I'm right about everything. Be meek is the word there. ESV often translates it as gentle. Show perfect courtesy towards all people. You, you, see, you see the self-control? You see the meekness that's there in the text. Colossians chapter 3, put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, 
patience, all of which requires self-control. And of course, Galatians 5.22, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. If we were to choose a word for men, I think the word we need is meek. It's a theological term that is found exclusively in the gospel. In Jesus, one strong enough to carry the burdens of our sins and to lead us to himself. Well, near the end of the Revolutionary War, American armies had gained a series of really strategic and important victories. Much of it thanks to the work and the strategy of none other than General George Washington himself. The problem, however, was that his men had grown restless. The Continental Congress had proven ineffective, and they had not been paid as soldiers for a couple years, I believe. They were ready to march to Philadelphia, where the Congress met, remove everyone, and install basically what would be a military dictatorship with George Washington as its head. Maybe you don't realize that America almost didn't happen. America, as we know it, almost didn't happen. And what changed was George Washington addressed his men. A certain line he gave early on in the speech changed everything. And America, as we know it now, became a possibility because of one man's meekness. Washington, who was rather tall for his time, I think he was over six foot, would have been about average size now, but would have been significantly tall at the time, had led with great courage and everything. But now he had to really lead his men away from their strong emotions to a bigger idea of what America could become. If only they would keep fighting. The key part of his speech, I'd like to read it to you. Gentlemen, he said, will you permit me to put on my spectacles, his glasses, For I have not only grown gray, but almost blind in the service to my country. That single sentence put down the mutiny. You see, the men had an image of George Washington. They realized he was weak like they. But despite his weakness, he was strong. Despite his vulnerabilities, he could lead. And he would lead with conviction so that when America won the war, when the Constitution was agreed on by the states, when he was installed as president, eight years later, he walked away. No one had ever experienced anything like that before. You see, it wasn't Washington's military skills that created America. It was his meekness before his men, his meekness even on the battlefield. And his meekness in government while we're here today. Meekness is what it means to be a man. And don't let anyone on the left or right tell you otherwise. And if you want to see the model of meekness, look to Christ crucified upon the cross, forgiven his enemies like you. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that you would be